Hey everyone, this week's guest is Aram Kim. Aram is a children's author and illustrator, and she lives in Queens just like me. And we talk about how she left South Korea to move to New York and how she found her passion and love for writing children's books. Her books are incredible because they provide proper representation of her culture while exploring universal themes. I hope you guys enjoy this episode and make sure to check the show notes because she just released another new book. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to chat with you. I realize that I know you from another place now. Um, <laughs> I went to Bank Street College of Education and oh I realized that your book, Let's Go to Taekwondo, was yeah. the best uh, children's book in 2021. So it's a lot of connections. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear your story because you were born in Ohio. You then moved to South Korea, and then you moved to New York. Right, so right. that's three different places and three <laughs> different kind of cultures. How long were you in South Korea for? Um, I mean, I mostly grew up there. Um, so like Ohio, I was born in there, but I don't have any memory of it because I was only two when my family moved back to South Korea. And I grew up there until I was um, 25. And then, yeah, so it was most of my like childhood and also like like a lot of adulthood. Yeah. Um, and then I came to New York to go to school. Um, and I didn't think that I would stay. I just came for school, but I ended up staying and I've been here ever since. So, yeah. What what do you think is the the biggest cultural difference between growing up in South Korea and here? Um the biggest difference I feel all the time is the diversity. I guess it also has to do about being in a big city in the United States because I'm sure it's different in all other parts as well. Um but you know when I go back to Korea every year to visit um everyone around me is Koreans. <laughs> yeah. um, but here, like, it's not. Also, I'm in Queens, New York. So as you know, it's really, really diverse. Um, there are so many different languages I hear, just like outside of my apartment, like on a blog, there are like different languages or spoken. And I do see all these different people from different cultures, which is really amazing. Um, I mean, going back home um, in Korea, it's very comforting, um, like families and friends. And also it's just like very comforting to perfectly blend in and no one knows who I am. I mean, here either, but you know what I'm saying in terms of like appearance. Um, but it's just like, it's amazing to see this like diversity here. I, after living here for like many years, now I feel like, I just can't live anywhere where else where it's not diverse. Like, I feel like I might get bored. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much culture going around. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's true. We're both from Queens and you walk around no matter where you are in Queens. And it's just like, it's a nice immersion of so many different cultures, mm -hmm. which is so cool and 
it it was harder like growing up you didn't see it as much or maybe just because I was younger I wasn't as aware but now it's exciting and you know there's so many also new restaurants that are so diverse and it's really cool because growing up like I didn't try different things either I was you know just like in your book (laughs) (laughs) I was like nope not trying things especially spicy things but now it's it's so easy to find places and try things that are outside of your comfort zone which is so it's really unique I agree I agree (laughs) (laughs) and so I what I really loved about your books were that they're really universal themes right you're not you're not talking about these like crazy ideas that nobody's ever heard of. They're all universal, like trying new things, trying a new sport, being afraid of something like all of these are normal things, but the representation is not normal that we don't get to see often. Usually, you know, like most books now it's changing, but most books growing up, it was white children that were the main characters. And then in the background, you might see like a child of a different, you know, ethnicity, but it wasn't the highlight. And I love that your book is just perfectly representational. And that comes from you, obviously. So tell me about your journey to becoming an illustrator and a writer and creating a series of just universally representational books. Right. So, I mean, becoming an author illustrator, if I think back now, it feels very natural, but it wasn't like that. I think, I mean, some authors and illustrators, they, I think like universally, they say they loved like writing or illustrating like from their like childhood. And so did I, like I loved reading, writing and drawing pictures. Um, So I think as a little kid, I had no doubt that I would like make books, but then I think that actually faded very quickly (laughs) as I was entering like middle school, because like the school system in Korea is like pretty strict too. And then like a lot of cases, like students study to enter the college. That's a goal. Um, like going to like a good college, like going to like prestigious universities, that's a goal. So even though no one told me that I couldn't become an artist or an author, I think it's just like societal like pressure or the environment itself just kind of made me realize that I'm not going to be an artist or I'm not going to be a writer. Or like, I think like, I just thought that it was really hard to make a living as an author, which I think is still true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anywhere, I think it is true. But still, like, I think that kind of made me put those away. Um, So I just kind of like studied um, to go to college, which was a goal as a teenager, And if I think back now, that's kind of crazy that that is a goal. But then I think, sadly, it is still the case in many cases in, um, at least in like South Korea. Like, I think that just kind of became like a main goal for many kids, um, which is kind of restrictive, of course. um, But that's a different story. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, and then I had a chance to um, come to the United States when I was in college in Korea to go to, to do like exchange program, exchange student program. And that's actually where I started picking up um, drawing again, um, because I think because I was outside of my normal like day to day life and my normal environment, I was exploring more. Um, I was being more adventurous, which is always a good thing, like to go outside of your like everyday place, I think. Um, so then I just kind of realized that how much I loved it. And I really, really just like loved the drawing. I would just stay up all night to draw, which I thought was actually a big deal because I love sleeping. <laughs> so I already think that if I'm happy giving up sleeping, then that's what I really love. And so I was like, oh yeah, like I don't mind at all, like staying up really late, just drawing. So I was like, maybe this is really what I needed to pursue. So then I came to New York um, to transfer to art school. Um, and then from then on, and it took me still some like good years to realize that I wanted to make books. And um, yeah, that still like kind of feels crazy to me because I just never like stopped reading or loving books. So I don't know why it took me so long to realize that I wanted to make books myself. But eventually I did. <laughs> um, you got there. <laughs> yeah, I got there. It was a long detour, but I got there. Um, my very first book was called The Cat on the Bus. So that was a almost word list book. Well, it started with the word list books. Um, but then my editor wanted to put some like minimum like amount of words, which I actually thought worked out really well with the book. So in there, the stray cat was a main character. And then at the end of the book, the cat finds a family, like human family. Um, and the one note I had from the publisher when I was working on a book was that they wanted to make sure the family would be Asian family. And it felt a little odd to me to hear it because they were going to be Asian family for sure. I didn't think any other way. Right. Um, oh, and I see your cat. My, my dog is. Oh, your dog. I thought it was a big tail. <laughs> he, <laughs> was a... he has to be in here so that he doesn't bark elsewhere, but then he always oh. has to kind of interrupt with getting comfortable. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I actually just got, well, I my I'm cat sitting for my friend. Yeah. And they just brought the cat in and I was like hoping that he would come around. We'll see. He might. He was here before. So <laughs> I hope he does. <laughs> I know, I know. Um but yeah, so you know, like some I think it was also it was like 2015. Um it was like a couple of years after the organization We Need Diverse Books um, took off. And then they were making these movements in like publishing industry. So it was, the scene was very slowly changing already. Um, so I think it, I, I just kind of came in in a really great time where I didn't really need to think twice about drawing my culture like 
right. showing my culture. So that was just like one like quick part that I actually got a glimpse of like what's the diversity in publishing. Um, and when I was working on the next book, No Kimchi for Me, I think I actually could have done it because I didn't know so much about the industry yet. I think even though the scene was changing, I think it was actually a big step for my publisher to decide to publish a book that has like kimchi on the title. Um, mm -hmm. It was very like so-called ethnic. And I, even though I didn't think, you know, it was anything that, I don't know how to put it, but I mean, I didn't hesitate, but then now looking back, I realized that um, it was a big decision for them. It was not like a very easy or common decision for them to publish a book. Um, that's like very centered around like very specific culture. Um, but as you said, I mean, it even though it's about kimchi, like it is about very universal like topic. Yeah, and that's what I really want because um, I wanted the books, I wanted the books for Korean Americans who were born and raised in America because I thought that a lot of books about different cultures, um, a lot of them are about immigration and how to how they find a home in this new country and new society, which is very important because immigration happens every day. It will never stop or like new kids are coming to this new country every day. So it is very important, but we also need just fun books, like nothing, like no culture book has to be, like not every book has to be about immigration or that experience. I really wanted just like fun book that kids want to enjoy, like no matter what. So even though like I was targeting or in my head, I want the Korean American kids look at the books and then see their culture, that they see every day, they experience every day in their home, I wanted them to see that in the printed books. Because when things are printed, it gives a power, right? Like even in this um, time of like all the TV shows and like a phones and media, still when you see something printed, when you find it in a school library that your friends also see, that gives the voice, that gives like the empowerment. So I wanted the kids to see their culture in a book. So that was the main thing. But also like as a kid, I I never, I mean, all, all the kids, like no kids like not fun books. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> yeah, so like I I have to, I always want to make sure the books like I make are fun um, because like I do remember as a kid, I loved the books, but I only <laughs> loved fun books. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I wanted. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know if that answered the question, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm going to circle back to the books, but I am curious to hear how your family 
took you wanting to leave Korea and come here, you know, you're still very young at that point, leaving to come here. I don't know if you had any family here or you knew anyone here, but that's still such a a big decision to also leave the societal norms of you're going to study for an important college, an important career, which, you know, I think that sometimes people don't think like being an author is like a great career or, you know, like it's just one of those things where people don't realize the work that you're putting behind it and the impact it has. It's just like, oh, you know, sometimes societal norms don't see that point of view. So I'm curious what your family thought of this big move. Definitely. I have a, I am very lucky that I have a super supportive family. Like my parents were fine. Like my mom was happy that I decided to go to the U.S. and then pursue my dream. I know that my dad was a little bit worried. And (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he never said anything out loud, but I know like he was a little concerned, Um, but they were very supportive. So I am very lucky that way. I cannot imagine any other situation that, you know, like because decision itself is already hard. And then when you don't have that family support, it gets so much more harder. Because you need that like moral support um, to back you going on that adventure. So I am very grateful. Um, I think it was really helpful that my family lived here. I mean, even though I was only two when they moved back, they lived here. My parents lived here for seven years. My sister also like they, yeah, my sister lived here for six years. So they kind of like the idea that I was going to like a little bigger world and explore (laughs) so (laughs) yeah I mean that's great that's it could have you know having the support makes it not necessarily easier because you're still going through all these challenges but knowing that your family is still like we're with you we respect you we want you to pursue these dreams is just really like a chip off the shoulder and like a, a deep breath is like there. You're really definitely, a more- no, I, yeah, definitely. I so agree. I do have, um, you know, author friends and artist friends who really needed to like fight their families. And that just makes it like, not just like a couple more times harder. It just like makes like a lot harder. So yeah. I'm very grateful. Yeah. Great. And yeah, so circling back to the books now. Yeah, I love no kimchi for me. I it took me many, many years to try kimchi because (laughs) I didn't have a good spice tolerance growing up and I'm getting there. But I love kimchi (laughs) now and I love going to like Korean barbecue places. It is delicious. But again, the theme of the book is so universal. You try something, it's spicy. I love that she puts it on ice cream, like, like just these different ideas that these kids have too. like, okay, I don't like it this way. Let me put it on this random thing and see if it works. And then you have this recipe at the end, which I'm going to be trying with my friends. I I, I love it. It's just, it's such a perfect theme. And again, the representation is there. And I think it also is a great way to think about like kids 
bringing their cultural foods into schools, right? If they bring school, if they don't have school lunch, they bring lunch from home. And depending on their culture, they might have kimchi that they're bringing to school and other kids might not understand what it is. And being able to say like, no, look, there's a whole book about it too. Like you can make this and really just normalizing the difference in cultures and the difference in food that we all have is just so beautiful and smart. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I, yeah, I really thank you. Um, yeah, like it's interesting that you talked about lunch because there is the narrative about stinky lunch, right? It's like people from different cultures bringing this lunch and then people like make fun of them. Um, and that story has been told many times. I feel that um, kids being nervous about their culture, um, if it will be accepted or not. And I think it's still very true, even right. if the world is changing. It's very true that like there will be a point of life that you will feel uncertain about your heritage. Um, but also as we evolve <laughs> or as the generation changes, um, like the families that I see here, um, like the, I mean, especially like younger generations, um, like kids who grew up here and then they make, they, they form their own families and they have kids. And then I see the shift in they're thinking that they are really embracing their culture. They, they're like, historically, there definitely was like a shame in certain like immigrants, like they didn't want to make their culture um, prominent. They didn't want to, they wanted to blend into this so-called American society, which really is a white society, like in their mind. Yeah. But then I really do see the shift in thoughts that like a lot of like younger generation, they fully embrace their culture and they're proud of it. And it shows in their kids, actually, like kids are not like they, it's just like, it's a norm for them. Right. So that's what I really wanted to show that. And as you said, like more kids see this like book about kimchi, like they will know what that is. I thought that, yeah, visibility was very important. Um, and <laughs> so so in No Kimchi for me, like it's about like trying out new food, but also it's about this like sibling dynamics because, and it's that, that dynamic about, well, at least in Korea or in Korean community, if you can't eat kimchi, you are a baby. <laughs> <laughs> you're not and I didn't eat kimchi until I was 11 I didn't like spicy food as a kid but then now I just cannot live without it right but then, like and I'm the youngest of my siblings um so that like feeling about oh like I don't want to be seen as a baby I'm a big kid that I feel like that's also like a very big like theme of all my books too <laughs> um so yeah like it's all in there um yeah. yeah I'm glad you said that like you can say hey there's a book about kimchi here like look it up 
And yeah. I just want to kind of show in a way that because in the book, the main character, Yumi, she really tries to read, like eat it, eat kimchi to prove yeah. that like she's not a baby so that she can play with her older brothers. So I wanted to show that, yeah, like eating kimchi is a cool thing. It's not something abnormal. It's a cool thing. You need to try it. Like you have to prove yourself by <laughs> eating it. So, yeah. It's a rite of passage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Yeah. And and you have a book coming out this month, I believe. Tomorrow is New Year's Day. And yes. it's all about the Lunar New Year. It is, it is. So it's about the Lunar New Year's Day celebrated in Korean way. Um, so it's called as Hollal. So that's the Korean term for Lunar New Year's Day. And it's actually interesting that you brought it up right after No Kimchi for me, because I think the very first time that I thought of making this book was when I had No Kimchi for me out. Um, one of the readers reached out and said, Oh, we really love your book. And I really hope that you make a book about Solar because there are not many books about Solar out there and we really want to use it. Um, and Lunar New Year's Day is such a big holiday in Korea. Um, here, like it's like mostly known as Chinese New Year because like there is like such big population of Chinese and then also it's really big celebration for them. <laughs> so it is mostly known as Chinese New Year, um, but then Lunar New Year's Day is celebrated by many other Asian countries. Um, so I think also the term has been slowly shifting like from like calling it Chinese New Year to like Lunar New Year's Day. Um, but then, yeah, I just kind of wanted to show how Koreans celebrate um, Lunar New Year's Day because there are like more books about like how Chinese um, celebrate it. And so I just also wanted to show like how Koreans celebrate it too. Um, so yeah, that's how it came to be. It took me many years, but then when I finally decided I really want to make this book, actually that reader who reached out to me like I think like they were my main inspiration because I saw them like entire family going into the classroom of the kid to show like how they celebrate the culture how they celebrate solar and that is actually main like plot of my book tomorrow is new year's day the family goes to the kid's school to share the culture and that was, yeah, like that was my inspiration. And it, I saw a lot of families, a lot of Korean American families do that. So I thought it was kind of like perfect way to make the book. Also because it's not a huge celebration among Korean Americans in the US, I think. So I think it was more like appropriate to show how they really like celebrated. Um, rather than showing how Koreans in Korea celebrated, because that's more like a big family gathering in Korea. But then here in America, it seems like a lot of Korean Americans celebrate um, January 1st, like the New Year's Day, mm -hmm. and also they celebrate Lunar New Year's Day, but a lot smaller way. Yeah. So 
I thought like actually showing them in school would be fun and yeah. actually use it at the school. So yeah. yeah, I when I was a preschool teacher, I would invite parents in during the year for just like to come in and do things with the children. And I had a family who lived in New York um, and then they moved to Korea and then they moved back to New York. And I had their son who was, I believe he was just like two or three at this point. And he was like just the cutest little guy and he didn't speak a lick of English. And Uh so we told the parents like, okay, give us like a, a little list of common like Korean words that we can say in the classroom that might be helpful and so we were using those and like he was so quiet and shy and this one day we were outside on the playground and he looked in another classroom and he started saying a word in Korean and I didn't know what it was but he was so so happy and he was pointing at something and I was like yeah like he's communicating I was so happy that he felt comfortable saying something and I'm cheering him on. He's pointing. He's laughing. And so I told the mom when she came back to pick him up, I was like, oh, my gosh, we had the best day ever. We were on the playground. He was pointing to this thing. And I told her the word. And he was pointing at the baby's private part and saying it. And he was so, so excited. I'm cheering him on. I was like, and I said, and she was so embarrassed. And I was like, he's communicating. I don't care what it is. But I always think of that story because it's like he just needed to feel seen and like he knew something. I didn't care what it was. And it was just like it's one of my favorite stories. And the mom came in for to talk about the Lunar New Year. And again, she had a book that was basically about the Chinese New Year celebration and not, you know, the Korean celebrating. So it's nice to see that now there's a book that she'd be able to bring in and really show how she in her culture would celebrate it. But I always think of that story and that little boy. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I am I, I I do see like a lot of families go into the classrooms to share their culture. So I'm hoping this book might make it easier <laughs> because that they have a book to show. So yeah, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Aram, thank you so much for coming on. I oh. hope I get to see you someday in Queens because we're both here. Yeah, yeah. Having a, you know, read aloud at um, Q and Willow, I will definitely show up. And oh. I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you so much for coming on and being flexible. This was incredible. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be chatting with you. Of course, anytime. Well, enjoy your lousy weather day. (laughs) I know. (laughs) What a great weather. It's okay. Enjoy cat sitting. (laughs) Yes, thank you. He never showed up, but that's okay. I'm seeing part of your dog, so that makes it more comforting. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's out. He is as sleep as one could be. (laughs) Oh. All right. Well, thank you so much, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andy. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. 
So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.